start for Julio Rodriguez another one that's left the building about 10 rows up and he is locked in a huge shot left field line you want to clap for what he did tonight in his first home run derby oh Brad Guerrero Jr. will hang on and win the 2023 T-Mobile home run derby not going 2-2 to Diaz is hit in the air to deep left field back it goes Elias Diaz Two out and a 2-2 pitch. Ramirez swings and misses. Kimball slams the door. The National League's finally back on top. It's first All-Star game win since 2012. You're listening to another edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Here's your host, Peter J. Mulroy. You know what I thought was really interesting about the All-Star game was what happened after the fact. A lot of the things that I read post-game about the broadcast quality, about the style of play, about the uniforms. I mean, we understand we live in a world where everybody loves to be negative and everybody loves to point out the things they don't like about something. I thought the All-Star game, I thought the entire All-Star week was phenomenal. I like the new format that they've gone with the past couple of years, breaking down bracket style the home run derby. I had no problems with the uniforms. Look, when the, and apparently the big bugaboo with the uniforms was people outside of the host city. This year was Seattle, obviously, like to see their team's logo on the jersey, on TV, on the national stage. I get it. I thought the the uh, All Star uniforms were pretty freaking cool, and it was a hell of a ball game. Low scoring, good pitching unbelievable defense in that first inning by uh, Adolis Garcia in in from Texas in that first inning in right field and Randy Arozarena out left. I mean, you got everything you could have asked for from a baseball perspective, in my opinion, in that all-star game. And all people like to do is complain after the fact. That being said, welcome to the latest edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Friday, July 14th, a touch after 7 p.m. on the East Coast. Lots to tap into today. We get the dream Wimbledon matchup that diehard tennis fans wanted on the gentleman's side. It's going to be the Joker going for his eighth title and sixth straight against the rising youngster in Carlos Alcaraz. I'll get to that later in the show. It's going to be an unbelievable, un- unbelievable final on the ladies' side as well. Tons to go through with Major League Baseball. Second half resumes tonight. Yankees in Colorado. Mets coming off that lackluster performance going into the break um, are set to host the Dodgers for three at Citi Field, which is a big deal for the Mets coming out of the break with still a lot to play for with 80 plus games remaining. Some news to clean up around college in the NFL. and We'll get into some golf as well. Uh, But I want to start right here in Major League Baseball. Uh, You watch that home run derby. you know exactly what I'm talking about with how intense things got. I liked in my previous picks, Randy Arozarena to get to the final. 
I just thought it would be Julio Rodriguez who took him out. Now, Rodriguez pounded a total of 81 home runs in front of the home crowd in Seattle. And he hasn't had a, a great sophomore campaign in the bigs. I mean, let's call it what it is. But when the kid's on, he's as pure of a hitter in the game as there is today. And you got a glimpse of that if you watched the Derby uh, earlier in the week. But it was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And you could say similar things about him this year. Toronto's starting to play better. The wheels are turning a little bit uh, better as of late. But you, you've had Vlad, not his quintessential season. But there were the power numbers again. And the final round there with a Rosarena dumping him out by two was just incredible. Then you fast forward another, another night and you get the National League. All they've done is lose in this contest the past decade. And you looked at both of those lineups, and I broke them down pretty in-depth with some of the callers uh, that chimed in last week. That was a loaded American League lineup. Now, you've got all-stars and 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 the, the young with the old, right? Almost a changing of the guard with some of the veterans that would have been there or and that were there with some of this influx of younger talent. The Acunas of the world, the Arozarenas of the world, Rodriguez, Vlad different guys out there with the vets, like the Freddie Freemans of the world. Shohei Otani making an appearance. George Kirby, who's been phenomenal for Seattle. And you get a low-scoring contest with great pitching, phenomenal defense, and it adds up to, and you heard it in the top of the broadcast, first All-Star game victory for the National League since 2012. Historically, that's the second longest streak in All-Star history, the longest was 11 straight wins by the National League from 72 to 82. So I think you had all the makings for a great all-star week. And from my perspective, I don't have much to complain about. I actually was scratching my head when I was reading a lot of these um, reports about how many people thought the all-star game was so lousy. I, I just couldn't disagree with it more. I thought it was a great game. I thought the Derby was awesome. I thought the guys at Fox, nobody's a bigger fan than Joe Davis than me. I think he's the best play-by-play -play play guy in the game right now, and he's a young guy. He's going to be around forever. I, I, I thought it, it had the works. I thought it was great. Uh, with that being said, got uh, Mike on the line. Mike, what's up, man? Thanks hey, for calling in. Hey, Pete. How are you? Good. What's up? Mike, you there? Yeah. Did we lose him? What's up? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I wanted to ask a question because everybody's talking about Shohei Otani and if the Yankees are going to go after him or not. My question is, if you go after Otani, what do you do with Stanton? They owe him $130 million. You well, think Steinbrenner's going to write off $130 million? That's not happening. You know what's interesting for me, and I was going to get to this before I started getting into the Yankee and the Met portion of the segment, the report came out today that L.A. is actually going to listen on trade inquiries from Otani. Now, they're going to poo-poo anything that comes in absurd. You're not going to lowball an offer for Otani. But from my perspective, it's a little disconcerting to me that for a lot of the things I read, you know, Buster Olney of ESPN reported earlier in the week that the Yankees would probably most aggress be most aggressive if a trade were to happen this season. That makes sense. But when you think about what the Yankees would have to give up, here's my problem. Otani's going to be a free agent. And while the overwhelming favorite, if he gets to free agency during the offseason, is going to be the Dodgers, 
because of climate, location, and the ability to be a contender year in and year out. They they have to be the favorite. If the Yankees wait till free agency, all they'll have to do is throw the money at them. So wouldn't it make more sense, or at least beg the question, if you're the Yankees, why give up the likes of a Volpe, a Peraza, a Dominguez, a Garcia, whoever it might be? Estevan Florial, he might be in there because it seems like Brian Cashman, all the guy wants to do with him is dangle him out like it, like he's a treat and, and trade the guy. Why not wait? You may lose out. The Dodgers are going to be the favorite. And Otani's arm and bat would certainly look good in that right field porch and on that starting mound for the oh, game. Sure. But I don't know. You mortgage the future, yes, for a generational talent. But right now, L.A.'s got two of them, and they have right. nothing to show for it. And even if you wait till the end of the season and he's a free agent, what do you do with Stanton's $130 million bucks? Well, They actually owe him 160 but Miami's picking, picking up $30 million of it. You take the 160 Stanton has, add it to the 330 or whatever it was that Judge got in a nine-year deal. Otani is going to get half a billion. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And then Anaheim eventually is going to have to do something with Trout. Because keeping they're gonna they'll be the the, the team with the two best players to to never do a thing. And they've got all world talent on that team. Now Anaheim has said, well, they're gonna listen to offers. I it seems like the GM and everybody in charge wants to do right by the fan base. But if you get offers for Otani, now is probably going to be the time because they're going to lose him in free agency. From a Yankee perspective, Mike, I would probably wait to free agency. Yeah, if they're I as in love with these young talents as you see, and as of late, it looks like Anthony Volpe is going to be a damn good ball player. Yes, he does look good. I would wait till he's a free agent and then – you know, you never know. If they can sign Otani, maybe the, the Dodgers always like Stanton. Maybe they can move Stanton to the Dodgers, maybe pick up part of his salary. And who knows? I know the Yankees love him, but I, I, I think if something was there where they had the opportunity to move him, that they would. When healthy, he's productive, but it's becoming an issue. Yeah, that's true. And obviously with these guys not getting any younger, that seems like it's going to be something that's going to be around uh, for the foreseeable future, unfortunately, whether the Yankees make the playoffs or not. That's true. But, uh, Mike, I appreciate the call. Uh, and, and uh, again, thanks, thanks as always, for calling in. Uh, have a great night. I appreciate it. But, okay, um, all, all the best. You know, from the perspective there, and, and that's where I was going after breaking down uh, what took place with the All-Star game, and I agree with Mike, I do. I was thinking about this earlier, and this was the next step I was going to take uh, before getting into the second half and doing a little Yankee Met talk. You're going to have these teams now sending out the feelers to the Angels. The Yankees are going to be one of them. They always are. The Mets are going to be do every single team in baseball should be inquiring about this guy because he's on the diamond. He is superhuman. You don't see this. 32 home, you're going to have a shot to see him crack what Judge did last year. 32 home runs at the break. It's not out of the question at all. Was having a conversation with a friend today at work. What do you think he's better at? Hitting or pitching? Where is he more useful? If you had to pick, and it's tough. Sub three ERA, strikeout pitcher, doesn't walk the world, pops the glove. And he picks up wins and he can eat innings. 
and you don't have to worry about him playing the field outside of when he's on that mound and he can DH for you. I mean, you don't see this. So everybody should be kicking the tires if this is actually an open door to the world of trading for Shohei Otani. I'm the Yankees. I think it makes a lot of sense to see what you have in the offseason. Because again, and I know what this guy would bring to a franchise and what it would mean at Yankee Stadium. Adding Shohei Otani to a rotation that already features Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, whose back is going to pitch again tonight against the Rockies in Colorado, a returning Nestor Cortez, and a Clark Schmidt who's been pitching better, and maybe a Luis Severino who you could get right. That's amazing. You're a contender there. And then adding his bat in the lineup. But you're giving up a ton, or you would be, to potentially not have the opportunity or even sniff at landing him again long-term in the offseason. If that's a risk you're willing to take, then go ahead. Because it's going to probably take a package worth an Anthony Volpe, who right now is just starting shortstop. Jason Dominguez, who's their top prospect. You saw him in the spring. He's having a a good year down in the minors. What that bat can do, what that combination of speed, the hand-eye coordination the the kid has, and what he does defensively. Might be a Davey Garcia, who I know a lot of people within the organization are still high, and we saw him before the All-Star break in a relief role. Could it be a Peraza? You're going to have the big-name guys involved in this because of the magnitude of the player a generational talent you would be getting in return. The risk there for those teams that make that trade, including the Yankees, even though they pack a powerful wallet, you give up the farm for him this year. You cannot eliminate the risk of not having him at all when next year begins. Because for Otani, a lot of that is going to hinge on the lifestyle that he wants to live which is West Coast. Money, location, being in the limelight and being on a contender year in and year out, that screams Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, financially with the Yankees and the Mets can never be eliminated. This gets to free agency. The Dodgers are far and away the favorite. But I'm very careful here if I'm the Yankees mortgaging all of those things because you run the risk of losing him and you know that it seems like he's leaning West Coast. There's a lot to unpack with this. And now that that report came out earlier today that the Angels are in fact listening, it's going to get interesting. You already have a lot going out West, right? With Oakland leaving the state, going to Vegas. The Angels deciding, perhaps, maybe they renege on this. The division's not going to happen for an Anaheim team. But do they view themselves as potentially still being in five games out of the wild card? Yeah, maybe. At 45 and 46 in the second half starts, terrible road team, better at home, inconsistent pitching. I know the club wants to do right by the by the fans 
and ride this as far as they can with Otani and Trout, who's going to come back from injury and who was playing well before he got hurt. But eventually something's going to be have to be done if this Anaheim franchise is not going to go anywhere with two Goliaths in the sport. You don't get two in a season, in a decade on different teams. You've got two generational talents now that are playing on the same team, and the franchise is going nowhere. It's a problem. It's a big problem. They can invest a, a billion dollars into two guys. As good as Trout is, guys banged up a lot. Hell of a lot. So I understand the idea that they would open the door for trades expecting a haul. And then perhaps making their own run at him in the offseason. Unlikely, but nothing can be ruled out, especially when it comes down to the almighty dollar. But I agree with Mike, who called in a few minutes ago. You're careful with what you're doing here from the Yankee approach. I know guys in the farm system are unproven commodities. But you got to build from within. And if you lead the coverage bare, it could take you a while to rebuild them. I mean, look at the Mets. They've had their own issues with the farm system outside of the Beatties of the world and the Alvarezes. So you got to be careful. Yanks will have the finances, but you got to have some type of support system there moving forward as well. Switching gears as we now delve back into the second half of the season. Nobody's better than this Braves team. Two of three from Tampa going into the break in what very well could have been a World Series preview. Now, I had said last week uh, going into the All-Star break, Tampa Bay kind of coming back to earth. But Atlanta, 31 games above uh, the watermark, 60 and 29, eight and a half game lead over Miami uh, for tops in the National League East. This team's dominant, home on the road. Uh, They've won eight of the last 10 coming out of the break. Matt Olson's been a machine. Acuna outside of Otani. Might be the best player in baseball. 21 homers. He's hitting 337. His on-base percentage is nearly 420. 54 ribbies and 41 bags. Add in what Ozzie Albies has done. Austin Riley. And Marcel Ozuna's having a renaissance. Forget about looking like the favorites in the National League. Atlanta right now is bar none the best team in baseball. And I'll tell you who else was a great story in the first half. The Cincinnati Reds. Got a game lead over the 49 and 42 Brewers in the NL Central. That's a fun team to watch. They've got some good young talent. Obviously around Dela Cruz, who everybody's fallen in love with since watching him come up. Five to a player who can run, hit, and feel with the best of them. And they've got some good young pitching as well. Then you look out west in the National League. Dodgers and D-backs tied atop that division with San Francisco just two games back. You can't totally sleep on San Diego eight and a half out. But with the talent that they're cha- uh, chasing, and I've said it a couple of times, even after the sweep by the Mets, this Arizona team is championship good. They are that good. When the bats are alive, the pitching has been consistently there, led by Zach Allen. The team is legit. And I think you're going to have a lot of things to look forward to from the point of maybe you're going to watch some games this second half of the season that you might otherwise not have. 
Last year, the Cincinnati Reds were a terrible baseball team. They started 3-22. and 22. Now through 91 games, they got 50 wins. The Arizona Diamondbacks were an afterthought a year ago. They are way ahead of schedule. They're tied for the lead in the National League West. The Cubs just took two of three from the Yankees going into the break. The Pirates, while below 500, have good pieces there. Mitch Keller, Jack Sawinski, who continue to grow and keep them relevant in perhaps the most beautiful ballpark uh, in America. And you've got teams like the Phillies and the Blue Jays, who if they keep it running, oh, by the way, with Bryce Harper on the mend, this is going to be one hell of a back end of a season. And that's, isn't that what we want? It'll be interesting from the perspective of the Mets with what they went through in the beginning of the season. Mentioned earlier, they will open a three-game set at home, which is big, with the NL West leading Dodgers tonight, for those listening, live Friday the 14th uh, at City Field. 42 and 48 overall, 18 and a half game back in the NL East. I'll say it now, and you can bookmark it if you want, because I, I get nasty messages on social media and, and things to my inbox, which I love. All pub is good pub about how hard I am on the Mets sometimes. Isn't it justified? I'm going to say it now and remember it. The NL East is not happening. You could be one of these, you know, positive, positive, positive people. 18 and a half games back in the National League East when you got to hop three teams. One who was in the World Series a year ago. Another one who recently won one. And a resurgent Miami team who's doing it with youngsters. Now, seven games back of the Giants for the final wild card spot, you're playing for something there. This Mets team is not devoid of talent. But what bothers you after you watch them take two of three from San Francisco at home, go on the road and sweep a first place uh, Diamondbacks team, and then drop two out of three to the Padres to close out the first half following a six-game winning streak, it gets frustrating. And they've basically looking at the numbers and the metrics, been middle of the road offensively outside of being ninth in the league or overall in all of baseball in home runs with 114. Now they've scored 405 runs. That's more than the Yankees have scored. 720 hits is more than the Yankees have. Team on base percentage is 321. That's all middle of the pack numbers. Where they're falling to the back half of the league is where you don't want to be is in team batting average, 241. That's not cutting it. And when you and you, and lately you have had the hotter batter Francisco Lindor, but you're gonna look me in the face or a legitimate baseball fan in the face and tell me something's not wrong with Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil. I mean, it's been documented with McNeil. He's been he has spoken to uh team owner. Steve Cohen, who has been very patient. I give the man a lot of credit not to blow this thing up just yet. But when you don't have your two of your biggest bats in Alonzo and, and McNeil consistently productive, Pete Alonzo hasn't been the same since missing uh, 11 games or whatever it was with the injury uh, before the All-Star break. Let's call it what it is. That's the truth. From a pitching perspective, Max Scherzer l- looks completely different than he has lately. 
Do you consider Carlos Carrasco reliable or is it one in every three? And while Verlander's sporting a sub-3-6 a sub ERA, that's all well and good. What's your trust level in a Cody Senga? Or, or David Peterson? So there's talent there. It just hasn't come together 90 games into a season, which is alarming for a team that won 100-plus games a year ago, which was a well ahead of schedule, Mark, even after the acquisition of, of Lindor. And with the season Pete Alonso had. Starling Marte is not having a good campaign. I would not be surprised at all if he's on the move by the deadline next month. Matter of fact, I've said it before, with a team like the Yankees in need of outfield help, I don't think Marte would look all that bad uh, in a Yankee uniform. Not a popular opinion by many, but it, it, it's a change of scenery and he's not going far. Something to think about, potentially. It's one of those things you throw out there. So this is a big series for the Mets here against the playoff-tested, recent World Series champion Los Angeles Dodger team. That's going to come in with good pitching, legitimate offense, you know, all about Mookie Betts, what they can do from top to bottom. So this is a nice test for the Mets right out of the gates as the season resumes coming out of the All-Star break in Seattle. Off and running would be the dream scenario that the Mets get a win tonight. Because if the wheels fall off and you had all that momentum going into that San Diego series and it, the club just went flat after game one to drop two of three to a Padre team who, along with the Mets, were probably the two most disappointing teams the first half of the season. I think that's a fair assessment. I think it's a fair thing to say. And you would have had old Uncle Mo on your side coming out of that break had you took two of three or swept them with a team like the Dodgers coming to town. You would have had City Field amped up. Now, I have a feeling, almost like in football, with a fresh set of downs, a fresh mindset, not an insurmountable deficit in the wild card seven games back. It doesn't look good on paper. But it's not insurmountable with the talent the Mets have if it wakes up that these Mets fans will be ready to roll for this series uh, this weekend starting tonight, Friday, in Queens. Because they're going to need it. Good litmus test and perhaps a quick look into what the immediate future might be holding for this Mets team. Because if it blows up, Cohen can say all he wants. He's going to have to make changes. And it would probably start with Showalter and then Epler. In that order. That's how the chopping block works. Case in point, the next team I want to work into, the Yankees. Have not been kind to this team at all on this program. They're a 49-42 and 42 club. There's numerous teams in Major League Baseball right now that would sign up that record. Eight games back in the American League East. Again, not insurmountable, unlikely. I ultimately think this is going to be Baltimore's division to win the way they've played lately and with Tampa coming back to the field a little bit. But this is a Yankee team, a game out of the final wildcard spot, chasing the Astros right now. I've said it time and time again. This Yankee team is a playoff team. That's as far as they're going. That's it. There is nothing, nothing that I've seen at this moment before any trades have been made or any further call-ups 
that would convince me, outside of the sheer dominance of Garrett Cole and the back end of that Yankee bullpen, which is huge, by the way, that this this is a legitimate go-on-a-run type team. Start the second half against a Rockies team who they should pound on. This Colorado team is terrible. And you know what? It scares me. Because these are the types of games this season the Yankees have lost. Look lousy in spurts against the Oakland A's a couple of weeks ago. They get the Herman perfect game in that setting. I get it. It's all well and good. Looked completely out of sorts again offensively against the Chicago Cubs going into the All-Star break. And you talk about rash changes or scapegoat changes, why I say in sports, if it's a Buck Showalter, it's always the manager who goes or always the coach because you're not going to fire the players. God forbid. Yankees had a scapegoat. Dylan Lawson, beleaguered, hitting coach, gone. Now, from the perspective of where that caught your attention as a Yankee fan, I think you'd be be thinking along the lines of this. It is rare. It basically never happens that Brian Cashman will make a move of this magnitude during a season. He's a totalitarian guy, right? He wants to look at everything in a globe, in a vacuum, at the end of a season. Very, very rarely will he make a move like this, but it's one that needed to be made. So the Yankees replace Lawson, who's basically the scapegoat. Let's we'll call it what it is, with Sean Casey, New Jersey native, former MLB ball player. First thing you hear, right from the mouth of MLB.com beat writer for the Yankees, Brian Hoke, who I've had on the program before, is that Casey's sensing tension amongst the club's hitters. Didn't go further into it, didn't have to. But tension, I mean, tension can mean many things. Tension with themselves, their lackluster power numbers, the team average. Tension with their manager, their GM, their owner, who lives in freaking Candyland. Or amongst themselves as a unit. So there's questions there, thoughts there. But let's take a look at what led to this firing of Lawson. I'm not saying I disagree with it. I don't call for people to lose jobs. I've said it over and over. But sometimes it is a necessity. You lose two of three at home to a what a sub 500, but a decent Cubs team. Where it came to a head was getting shut out at home in the Bronx to former Yankee Jamison Tyone, who's got an ERA at that moment of nearly seven which was the worst in the National League to that point. And he shut him out. 91 games at 49 and 42, that happens. Let's go metrics. 213 team batting average. That's the second lowest in Major League Baseball. This is the New York Yankees. One of the wealthiest sports franchises in the world and in history. And I've got more of a point on that later in the program. Those of you who have been paying attention probably know where I'm going. 300 on base percentage. 710 OPS. 400 runs scored. Folks, these numbers are amongst the worst in baseball. 
And if you want my opinion, the axing of Lawson, as much as I don't want to see people lose jobs, wasn't enough. Now, they're fifth in home runs with 129. And you're going to now have replaced Casey, who makes his debut tonight in Colorado. He's not an anti-analytics guy, which is fine, but he goes with an honest approach, which is what the Yankees need. Motivation, work ethic, not reinventing the wheel. But there are serious problems here with the Yankees, masked by the fact that they are still very much alive. To a point in the American League East, bar none the best division in the league, all five teams, legitimate playoff contenders, and one game back for the, of the final wildcard spot as we start the second half of the season on July 14th. So the offense has been problematic. We know that. Well, what changes? Well, my opinion, if I'm Aaron Boone, and I've said this before, I think his time has come. I think Cashman's time has come. And Hal Steinbrenner drives me up a damn wall. Says a couple weeks ago, he has no idea why Yankee fans are so upset with a third-place team. Why do you think, Hal? I just laid it out. Because this man's not like his dad. If they're pumping out cash and they're the freaking Yankees, that's never going to be an issue. Then that's good. And they're relevant, which they always will be. Apparently, that's good enough. But it's not for a fan base. It's not for a fan base that has been through the greatest of times with this franchise and have seen mediocrity and postseason collapses, i.e. last year in the CS against the Astros, where they couldn't touch minor league pitching if given the opportunity, let alone uh, the Verlanders of the world. So maybe the move to KC works. Maybe it invigorates life because something has to change. You add in the fact that in the pitching department, while Clark Schmidt has been better lately, sub-3 ERA across his last eight starts, Cole was a starter in the All-Star game. He's been phenomenal. Carlos Rodon, 69 pitches in his debut before the break. Looked good, got the hook early. He goes again tonight. Nesta Cortez coming back. He got problems with Luis Severino. And that's been a big issue in a win-loss department. Now, Herman's been hot and cold. People get very frustrated with the early hook that Aaron Boone tends to have. I get it all. You knew this offense would dip a little bit without Aaron Judge. But this is pathetic. And to see time and time again where you have somebody who in June, Billy McKinney, was hitting over 300, and he's sitting on the bench in favor of a guy like Josh Donaldson who has 14 hits. I get 10 of them are home runs, but he's, he's a below 150 batting average. You're supposed to just sit there and take that and not be able to e express frustration and angst toward a franchise? Because you can't tell me that the guys on this team aren't frustrated with the black hole that's been taking place at third base when other guys, when given the opportunity, have produced. Because all that tells me is you're playing them because of what his bank account says, which is disgraceful. Because if this comes to a head, Anthony Rizzo hasn't swung the bat yet. I've said it for weeks, DJ LeMayhew is still hurt. This Josh Donaldson crap eventually is going to have to come to an end. 
And Aaron Boone's laissez-faire approach has gotten completely stale. It's not getting stale. It is stale. So we'll see. But you better be in Colorado ready to roll. This is a team that you shouldn't take two of three from. This is a team you should flat out freaking sweep. And you still got guys banged up. Judge at about 80% post-All-Star break. You're looking at probably August for him to come back. Willie Calhoun is still banged up uh, later this month. Hopefully they get to pop in his bat back in the lineup. Jake Bowers um, was was dinged up before the All-Star break. So you got guys that are on the mend. Before the break, Cortez was moved to the 60-day DL, but he still is expected and on track to come back in August, which is big. You're going to need that life in that starting rotation. And it's amazing to even, and I hear myself say it, because I, I think what I say makes sense, and I, and I think there's truth to it. You've got a loaded American League East. There's minimal room forever, for, for error here. Now, the Yankees are seven games over 500. You would think that they would, the, the way we talk about them, they're 10 to 15 games under. But it's just be, with some of the, the influx of young talent that they could have at their disposal. You see Estevan Florial's name put up. Anytime you ever read about this kid, all they want to do is trade him. McKinney's provided moments. Oswaldo Cabrera's given moments, and he can play third base. Isaiah Conor-Falefer won a gold glove at third base. He doesn't light it up offensively, but it might be a change. Because you keep repeating the same things over and over. That's the definition of insanity. You got a Yankee team right now who is just one game clear of the fifth place Red Sox. Boston's won five in a row as the second half begins. They're 48 and 43. The O's are 54 and 35. They're also on a five game winning streak. They're the two hottest teams in baseball as play resumes. There's no messing around here. Rizzo, LeMayhew, Torres who does head-scratching things. The time is now. Especially starting a half on the road against a really, really lousy Colorado team. Because this can't go on forever. But from where I'm sitting, it sounds like myself and much of the Yankee fan base has more fire in the belly than the manager, GM, and owner. Specifically the owner. And that's a problem. And until that changes, we'll deal with a team that's relevant. We'll deal with a Yankee team that will probably make the playoffs as a wildcard team. And that'll be it. Because you can't justify anything around the idea that this Yankee team right now is going to go into a series against the Rays you know what? Against any team right now in the American League East, and that includes the Red Sox, who swept them a couple of weeks ago. You gonna you trust the Yankees in a series against those teams? How about the Texas Rangers? How about the Houston Astros? Seattle's playing better ball. I I don't. I've been a Yankee fan my whole life, but you gotta be realistic. And right now, realism 
this is a team that is one and done in the postseason. That's it. We can revisit this next week. Same time, same place. As the season starts again, following the All-Star break, and see if there's anything that might have changed from the conversation we had this week, last week, and the week prior. So we'll see. Shabur, resilience and resolve, wrestles away a hard fought semifinal and heads back to a final at Wimbledon. My goodness, that was a well played match. Kondrosa with the check, comes through 6 3 6 3. Easy to say, we nearly had a real match in our hands. <laughs> we nearly did. The streak goes on at Wimbledon. The irresistible force that is Djokovic at Wimbledon moves through. And the young pretenders come and they try and try again to take his crown. But as he himself recently said, it ain't happening. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable finish. The world number one swipes a forehand past the world number three. We've got the final we wanted, really. What a way to end it. It really was. I mean, we have been saying on this program, I've said it for weeks since the tournament started, the dream matchup on the men's side, on the gentleman's side, would be Alcaraz, the kid, the number one ranked player in the world against Joker, the number two seed and number two ranked player in the world, going for his fifth straight Wimbledon title and eighth overall, which would tie Roger Federer for the most all time. Joker comes out of the semis with a straight set victory, 6-3-6-4-7-6 over Yannick Sinner, who played well. That third set tiebreaker was electrifying, but Djokovic just knows the grass courts too well. And now he's going to get the 2022 U.S. Open champion in Carlos Alcaraz, the top-ranked player in the world, a 20-year-old. This was no easy task. There was a good chance that it would go chalk to the final one, two. So we had one, two, three, eight in the four, in the, in the semifinals. And Alcaraz had to get past Daniil Medvedev. And all Medvedev was, was the number three ranked player in the world, the 2021 US Open champ, who's been around the block a few times. And Alcaraz made it look easy. Six, three, six, three, six, three. I mean, that is surgical. So you get to the gentlemen's semifinals and both matches of top 10 players go straight sets. That's unbelievable. Now you'll get the final Sunday, July 16th, 10 a.m. ESPN anchors the coverage. You could be looking at history here. Five straight Wimbledon titles and eight overall for Novak would be, I mean, he's probably already the greatest men's player we've ever seen. This will be his ninth final appearance. He's only lost once. You'll remember that was back in 2013 to Andy Murray. That was Murray's first of two Wimbledon titles in front of the home crowd in England. And oh, by the way, the Jokers already won the first two Grand Slams of the season at the Aussie and French Opens. So he gets this one. He's looking at a, at a, 
year Grand Slam if he wins the U.S. Open next month in Queens. So this is big stuff. And we had Alcaraz and Djokovic in the semis of the French through two sets. It was must-see TV. Alcaraz starting cramping up. He was never the same. Djokovic moves on and takes the title. And now people are getting the final that we all wanted. And I'll go back, and I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm with many of you. I like Djokovic to win this match. I think it goes the distance, but I think he gets it done. Now, on the ladies' side, I, you know, I was pretty confident that there would be inconsistencies with the brackets, upsets, right off the bat. Coco Goff goes down. Problematic for me because I picked her to win it. She's my favorite women's player. Iga Svantec didn't have much of a track record on the grass, and she gets bounced out before the semifinals. So you get Alina Slitovina or Marquita Vondruslova in one semifinal. Vondruslova goes on to win that 6-3, 6-3. And it was Vitalina who ousted Svantec, who was the top seed in the quarterfinals that got her to the semifinals. Now, this appearance at the women's title match for Vondrasova is going to be her second Grand Slam final. She was a finalist at the 2019 French Open. She will face Ons Jalber, who went to the 2022 Wimbledon and U.S. Open finals. So this is a stacked field here in the final, the final four. And you had the two-seed, Arena Sabalenka, ousted by Jabber. Six seven six four six three. I like Vondrasova in this match. I do. I like Djokovic on the gentleman's side, and I like Vondrasova here, the unseeded player. I think the service game has been strong. I think her ability to balance along that baseline is huge. Now, Jobber's got a big game of her own, number six-ranked player in the world. I just think that momentum... And that us-against-the-world mentality here for Vondrasova is going to serve her well. And I like her in her second Grand Slam final appearance to win her first Grand Slam title. That final is tomorrow, for those listening live, Saturday, July 15th, 9 a.m. on ESPN. I This is going to be great stuff. I think this was a great tournament from top to bottom. And I think we're really set up for... What we really thought we'd get on the gentleman's side and what we all kind of wanted, right? And then on the women's side, it was probably more of an enjoyable tournament to watch to this point just because of the the unlikelihoods of a lot of these matchups that played out. And now we're going to get two tremendous finals on both sides. I really think it's going to be great. Uh, We'll take a pause. I'm going to get into some golf in a few minutes, but that's pretty much what we have going on from a tennis perspective at Wimbledon. Two days to go. Women's final Saturday, men's final Sunday. Our buddy, Joe Jett, on the line. Joe, what's up, man? Hey, Pete, what's going on, man? Long time no speak. How's it going? Yeah. What's going on? Where you been? Yeah, you know, here, there, and everywhere. You know, Peter, it's the summer. Time to relax. Time to enjoy. Yes. And then, then, as we know, what's on its way very soon. Oh, boy. The NFL around the corner. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> Uh, What's up? I have some Jets stuff I'd like to discuss, if you don't mind. I I figured you would. Wimbledon, we got the golf. We could discuss all of that. 
But, you know, can we talk a little Jet football? Because you know I'm itching to talk about it. I, listen, I, I I wanted to – I was hoping you call because I, I want your opinion on the Williams uh, contract. Well, you know what? Let's face it. This was a no-brainer. It yep. had to be done. And you know what? Once again, Joe Douglas, my GM, steps up to the plate and gets it done. You know what? We all love Quinn and Williams. Great player. And I'm glad that they signed him. You know, what do you want to say? It's a little too much or it is. It doesn't matter. If we yeah, people say, go, oh, did they overpay? You always overpay. Right. That's right. <laughs> you always look at Daniel Jones. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, you know, he's just another guy that got overpaid. But I'm glad he's overpaid on my team. Correct. And I'm with you. I thought it was a move that needed to be made. And now you got one of the cornerstones on, on, a, on a top 10 defense, uh, at least uh, through that four-year extension. Oh, yeah, without a, without a doubt. Uh, can, we, can we talk a little bit, Peter, about I don't know if you brought it up. I just tuned into the show uh, about this hard knocks. Sure. Uh, you know I am not happy about this. Any real Jet fan, we are not happy about this, yet we knew it was coming. I mean, it's it. They're going to be amongst the target franchises with a lot of the things that have gone on, i.e., Aaron Rodgers. So, from a from a marketing perspective, for the powers that be at, over at, at at HBO and the like, it makes a lot of sense. But from a Jet fan perspective, there might be a little PTSD from the last time this went down. So I get it. Right. Right. You know, it's just because now, you know what it is, Peter? Now, anything he says on this hard knocks Aaron mm -hmm. Rodgers, we know he's outspoken. It's yep. going to be all over ESPN and in the newspapers. And what did he mean by that? I want this team focused on the season at hand. Listen, I don't disagree with you. I, and I And I think the bulk of it is, the, <laughs> the reason I like the Hard Knocks show, Joe, is because the Giants aren't on it. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, right. Look, it would be right. if I want to see what the Giants are doing, I watch the camp shows during the week because they run all season. That's good enough for me. I'll get my information from Bob Papa. I don't need one of my players putting their foot in the mouth and then having to read about it to, in today's culture that everything's going to get taken out of context. I'm with you a thousand percent. You're a hundred percent right, man. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. Since we're on the Giants, why don't you give me your opinion on the Saquon Barkley situation? Well, that's you know that was one of the things I was going to get into in, into in a, in a little bit when when I got through to talking a little golf. I mean, you're running out of time here um, because if he doesn't sign the franchise tag, even begrudgingly, which most guys will do, if there's if there's no contract signed on that ten point one million dollar franchise tag. Um, Barkley can't sign a long-term deal if it's not inked by 4 p.m. on Monday. Uh, so it's interesting uh, what's gonna what'll happen if he just decides not to do it. Uh, the belief, I think, and I agree with it, that he's going to sign the tag. I hope he does. The Giants offer at $19.5 million. I mean, I don't think it's disrespectful. It's a quarterback league. They got their quarterback. You know, I, I think Jones and Barkley make each other better, certainly. Um, yeah, I want Saquon Barkley back, but the position he plays, Joe, I'm not throwing the world at him. Kansas City Chiefs just showed that you don't need a dominant running game. You need balance, and you can win a world, a world championship. It, it, to me, it's just there's no Christian McCaffrey. 
He's in a league of his own. You're just not going to get that money. And I, I really think the Giants, with all the leverage, can play a little hardball here. As much as they like Barkley, there's no reason to throw an, uh, just an absurd amount of money uh, for a position that isn't of dire need in a passing league. I kind of agree with you there, Peter, but you know what? As an outside guy who has no you know, interest in the Giants but watch them every week, boy, they are a different team when he plays and he's in the lineup. He's a giant. Daniel Jones loves him. He's really a big part of that football team, and you guys got to do whatever. As far as I'm concerned, the Giants got to do whatever they can, however they got to get it done with Saquon. I, I ultimately, I think all of this works out. Uh, the Giants up the offer a little bit. It's just McCaffrey money, it's 16 mil plus, it is absurd to me. Because as as lethal as he can be, there's just no other Christian McCaffrey. And, and I think that type of money would go to McCaffrey alone. I think it's him and everybody else. Barkley's in that group with the Derrick Henrys of the world. What you know? What Alvin Kamara was a few years ago. Um, Brees Hall prior to injury it looked like he was really coming out of his shell. Uh, you see, Dalvin Cook really wasn't all that much uh, a high commodity by the Vikings. Um, so look, uh, the rest of the league seems to get this memo, and I know the guy wants to get paid, but I think realism's got to take over eventually too, Joe. Yeah, you would think. And you know what? I really have faith in the giant uh, hierarchy, so to speak, that they will make the right decision. And you guys will come to an agreement with Saquon come Monday, like you said earlier. Yeah. So, listen, let me ask you. And again, I appreciate the call before before I let you go. Uh, we had uh, a good friend of the show, Vinny, call in uh, two weeks ago. He is dead set on. And I'm not a big guy with the prognostications with win-loss projections, I mean, he's dead set on the Jets winning at most seven games. And a lot of the things I you know, I think Vinny gets some slack from from other callers and on social media, I think he comes from a position of, he, you know, he sticks to his guns. You got to tell me that the Jets are going to win more than seven games, Joe. Uh, listen, Peter, they won seven games last year without an NFL quarterback. So- <laughs> You know, with the threesome of uh, Joe Flacco, Mike White, and the great Zach Wilson. Now we have a Hall of Fame quarterback at the helm. So, trust me, they will win more than seven games. Yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) Uh, Just one other thing, Peter, before I Yeah, what's up? Just to let you and the listeners know, I will be in Canton, Ohio... August 3rd for that weekend for the great Joe Klecko, my all-time favorite Jet of all time. So I always said if Joe was going in, I would be there for the ceremonies, and I will be out there. So maybe a call when I'm out there. I'll call the show, let you know what's going on in Canton. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a a Thursday, right? That's correct. Thursday through Saturday. Saturday is the... uh, the inductions. The Jets are playing the Browns in the Hall of Fame game on Thursday night. Excellent. Yeah, we'll have to get you to dial yes. in from out in Ohio. Yes, absolutely. Me and my Jet faithful will be out in Canton for the weekend. Well, better late than never, man. It's about 20 years too late on oh. this induction. 
I always said, Peter, if you know, I wear his jersey for 25 plus years every Sunday at MetLife at those Jet games. And if the great Klecko got in, I would be there and I'm going to go pay homage to the man. I got also you. I'm right Darrell there with you, brother. Rebus, also, Darrell Revis going in. Yep. So we got two Jets, plus we got the game. We have hard knocks. You know, the Jets are doing that. You know what, Peter, with this year, can we win this division? I'm not going to say Super Bowl. Can the Jets win this division? It's certainly not out of the question at all. Right, right. We'll take baby steps. That opening game on 9-11, Monday night at MetLife is a massive game for this football team. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's. I think this is going to be, uh, from a New York perspective, one of the more interesting football seasons we've had here uh, in a long time. Uh, certainly for the Giants from last year, not having been all that good since 2016, and now with this revamped Jet team uh, with Aaron Rodgers leading the charge, I think uh, New York football is going to be, I mean, the primetime games alone, with the two teams facing each other this year, this is going to be one heck of a year, and I and I hope it's uh, for all the right reasons. Yep. You know what, Peter? We're both looking forward to it. It's going to be great. And like I said, I will I will speak to you from Canton, Ohio. All right? Uh, listen, anything – I know you didn't get to the golf yet. Uh, we do have the Open Championship coming up. Uh, any opinions? Listen, I, Rory, I'm all over Rory. I just – Rory McElroy, Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Colin Morikawa. If you play well in this Scottish Open, Joe, this is about as good of a tune-up as you can get going into a major. And Rory's 64-66. Hatton's behind him. They were actually two of the favorites this week at the uh, at the Scottish Open. But you're asking me who I like. I got three at the British. Rory, Fleetwood. Morikawa. Peter, why not? So listen, man. All right, listen, enjoy the weekend. All the love, and I will talk to you from Canton. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it, brother. Take care. All right, man. Yeah, that's our buddy, Joe Jen. Uh, yeah, and 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 again, he's right. With 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 the different things that have happened, uh, the offseason with football, with what the Jets have done, of course you're going to overpay for Quinn and Williams. But you're not overpaying for a free agent there who you don't know. And you bring it in based on what you've seen. He's your guy. And now you bring him back and you keep him. And you extend him with four years. That's big. That's a big deal for the Jets. For the type of expectations they have um, heading into next season. And perhaps even beyond. Maybe you get too solid out of Aaron Rodgers. So as I mentioned, you got the Genesis Scottish Open taking place at the Renaissance Club. Uh, this week, which is a big deal. It's the final tune-up in Scotland before the Open Champions next week at Royal Liverpool uh, in England. And, you know, things on the line this week. Top three finishers of the Scottish Open get exemption into next week's Open Championship. Uh, Winner will get 500 FedEx points, which is a huge deal, and 1.6 mil in prize money shop. We won it a year ago. And right now you got Rory on top after opening rounds of 64-62. That's good for minus 10. Hatton on his heels at minus 9 with Tom Kim and Byung Hung An, who was the round one leader after a blistering uh, 61. Brian Harmon, Padraig Harrington, Scotty Scheffler, Max Homer, Ricky Fowler, all within reach of the lead 
four or five shots back. Um, and then you've got the Barbasol Championship taking uh, place here in the States in Kentucky at Keen Trace Golf Club. Uh, Lucas Glover is atop that leaderboard at minus 13. The winner of this gets 300 FedEx Cup points. Uh, you had among the favorites, Patrick Cantley, Jordan Spieth, Hatton, and Fleetwood uh, at the Scottish Open this week. This is as good of a test as I just said that you could have uh, leading into a major. So these two tournaments this week, specifically the Scottish Open, uh, are definitely worth uh, keeping an eye on. I teased finances and showering yourself with the almighty dollar. Yankees caved. Adding a star insurance corporate sponsor patch to their iconic uniforms earlier in the week. Now, they're one of 13 clubs to have now have done this. The Mets did it before the start of the season. They wear the New York Presbyterian patch on their uniforms. Mets aren't the Yankees. From, from a uniform perspective, nobody is, outside of maybe the Red Sox. Yankees put the, the Nike swoosh on the jerseys a couple years ago. I didn't have a huge problem with that. Star Insurance, I know they had been partners. I knew basically nothing about this organization other than that, that they had been involved with the Yankees. Now the Yankees are going to don the patch. I don't think this is the greatest look for a franchise that's prided itself in being unique and leaning on a one-of-a-kind history. I don't. It's, to me, it's just another revenue-generating move and one that disrupts, to me, the overall beauty of a legendary, timeless uniform. And I, from what I've seen on socials, a lot of Yankee fans are, are in agreement. News out of the college sports world, Pat Fitzgerald out at Northwestern. Two days later, the university fires baseball coach Jim Foster for allegations stemming from a toxic environment, including bullying within both programs. It's a big deal. Pat Fitzgerald was an institution at Northwestern. Foster had only been there since 2022. So change is coming. You get a potential coaching change for the Giants with Mike Kafka, former quarterback at Northwestern. He'll be in the mix here, potentially as a replacement for Fitzgerald. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. But bullying, lousy workplace environment for these student athletes, right? Student always comes first there. Uh, these were some changes that needed to be made with these reports coming out from two athletic programs at the same university. Uh, not something that you want to ever, ever read about. And unfortunately, uh, this is not the first time uh, that something like this has happened. But the latest news that's coming out of Northwestern University, Pat Fitzgerald, baseball coach Jim Foster, out. Again, I just had a little conversation with Joe uh, uh, on the airwaves a few minutes ago. Giants and Saquon Barkley are getting down to it. Now, the Giants slapped Barkley with the franchise tag earlier in the offseason, $10.1 million, but he hasn't signed it yet. Most guys do, even if they're pissed off when they do it. And the deadline to reach a long-term agreement is 4 o'clock p.m. East Coast time on Monday, July 17th. If nothing happens by that time, Saquon Barkley cannot sign a multi-year deal with the Giants. Overall, the belief is that he's going to sign it, but it's going to be interesting. Giants need him? Hell yeah. But it's not a position at the running back slot in today's game where they're financially throwing the world at these guys outside of the $16 million a year Christian McCaffrey gets. 
Initial offer of $19.5 million from the Giants. We'll see where that goes if it gets up. Getting back to golf really quickly, I chuckled to this Rory McIlroy said earlier in the week that he wouldn't join Liv because there were rumors that Liv was trying to entertain a partnership with Liv Golf where Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy would operate their own team. Rory McIlroy says he wouldn't join Liv even if it were his, quote, last place to play golf on earth. You talk about hating something? Rory McIlroy hates Liv Golf. LeBron James not ready to retire. And in NCAA basketball news, this is big news. They're mulling over another expansion of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Nothing is, quote, imminent. That comes from ESPN. Now, back in 2011, the field went from 65 to 68, and a potential expansion to 90 teams has been discussed in recent time. Those discussions will continue to happen, but we don't expect anything coming uh in the severe immediate future, especially with the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams next year. So it's going to be um, interesting to see what happens, uh, certainly with the expansion in the college basketball world. And this just came across my scroll, that the Bengals have agreed to restructure the contract of Joe Mixon, which keeps him in Cincinnati. Uh, on that note, I say goodnight. I will see everyone next week, same time, same place, right here on Sports Today with Peter J. Live, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Special thanks to everyone who anchors the program now on Apple Podcasts. Certainly here live and post-production on Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Samsung, and Google. You can subscribe on all of those platforms. Podbean's where you want to catch it live. All of the other ones on tape delay. And you can stay locked into Sports Today with Peter J. on Twitter by following me at at PeterJM for all things show and sports related. Send me messages, tweets, whatever it might be. I'll talk to you all next Friday, July 21st, right here, Podbean Live. It's Sports Today with Peter J. Have a great night, everyone. Enjoy the weekend, and I'll talk to you in seven days. Sports Today with Peter J.